first half of the 20th century, and in one of her books, she describes a meeting that she had with a Hindu queen in her royal palace. Uh, And Amy Carmichael recounts that this Hindu queen was spiritually hungry uh, and kept asking her what was necessary for salvation. She knew that this missionary had the answer. She was determined to hear it. And so they read verse by verse through the gospel accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. And and Amy Carmichael writes about this Hindu queen, her face settled sorrowfully. So far must I follow, she said. I cannot follow so far. I cannot follow so far. Uh, And it wasn't just one single text that put off this uh, queen, but it was the radical claim of the gospel upon her whole life. She realized that trusting Jesus is not simply a decision we make one day at a single point in time. Trusting Jesus is not simply something we do in order to receive salvation and then carry on as we like. As she heard what Jesus had to say, she realized that the good news of salvation is a message that calls for radical, wholehearted discipleship. To trust Jesus is to trust Him in everything. And she realized that the gospel made radical claims on her whole life. I cannot follow so far. And you see, Jesus does call his followers to do some pretty radical things. The passage we're looking at today in Luke chapter 7 comes directly after Luke 6, strangely enough. But Luke 6 contains some radical, searching teaching. In, Luke, uh, in, in chapter 6, Luke records uh, a sermon that Jesus preached to his disciples. Uh, it's very similar to Matthew's Sermon on the Mount, only Luke tells us that this was a sermon on the plain. So it seems that that sermon itself was repeated. Such an important message that it was worth Jesus preaching more than once. But in this sermon in in Luke chapter 6, Jesus teaches some extraordinary stuff. Blessed are you who are poor, he says, and woe to you who are rich. That's completely the other way around to what the culture of the day believed, to what the culture of this day believes. Blessed are you when people hate you, he said. Love your enemies. Do not judge others. Jesus calls his followers to do some extraordinarily radical things, to love those who hate you, to give away your things, your money to those who need them to forgive those who hurt you. Hugely difficult things. And not how we usually do things. But Jesus says, don't do things the normal way. If you're my followers, do things my way. And sometimes we think, Jesus, quite frankly, your way is nuts. And what the Hindu queen concluded is exactly what many people still conclude today. Following Jesus is simply too costly. And even those of us who are believers, many of us have been believers for many, many years, 
disciples of Jesus. You know, we still sometimes think Jesus' way is hard, radical, difficult. Can we really trust this Galilean carpenter who lived 2,000 years ago? Who lived in a world that seems so different from our own in 2020? Can we really trust this guy who taught such radical things? And who makes such radical demands on on every aspect of our lives? Can we really trust him? Because sometimes it seems absolutely nuts. And it makes life really tough. Well, in our passage this morning in Luke 7, it comes against the backdrop of that utterly radical teaching. And yet it teaches us that we can indeed trust Jesus with absolutely everything. So for anybody reading Luke's gospel in its entirety and getting to the end of chapter 6, thinking, who does this Jesus think he is? Telling me to love my enemies. (laughs) Telling me to give away my stuff to help the poor. Or like that Hindu queen thinking, I cannot follow that far. Who does this Jesus think he is? Can I really trust him to follow as far as he calls? Well, chapter 7 answers emphatically, yes. You can trust him with everything. You can follow him in this radical discipleship because you can trust him. He has authority not only to tell you what to do with your life, He has authority even over death. You see, this passage teaches us that there is nothing at all outside the scope of Jesus' power and authority. So there is nothing, absolutely nothing with which you cannot trust him. You can trust Jesus with everything. Why? Number one, because he's a gracious comforter. When things get tough, and I mean really tough, Jesus is there, and Jesus cares. He's there for you, and He cares for you. We need to hear it, don't we? We need to hear that, because life gets tough, but we can trust Him. He's a gracious comforter. He wraps His arms around our hearts. I know of a a pastor who describes it as Jesus giving us a hug from heaven. Isn't that lovely? A hug from heaven. Let's look at what happens. Verse 11, soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain. Jesus has uh, just healed the servant of a Roman centurion in Capernaum. Now he's traveling to Nain, a pretty small town. It's about 25 miles away from Capernaum, uh, so a day's journey. And we read, his disciples and a large crowd went with him. So desperate are these followers to hear his teaching and to see his amazing miracles. They follow along this journey. And you can imagine, can't you, the buzz, the excitement permeating this crowd of followers as they, as they follow Jesus, they hang on his every word. They're eagerly anticipating the next miracle and they follow. But as they arrive at Nain, this joyful, excited crowd is met by another crowd coming out of the town gate. Funeral procession. In the Middle East, in those days, a funeral procession would have been a a pretty significant event and and a noisy one at that. 
In fact, you'd employ at least one, if not more, professional mourners to lead the wailing and the grieving. Musical instruments as well. There would have been no mistaking what this was. And so we have this convergence, this meeting of two crowds, a joyful crowd following Jesus and a, a weeping, mourning crowd coming out of town. And it truly was a a tragedy, a pitiful scene. Because at the heart of this funeral procession was this woman struck by double tragedy. She has already at some point buried her husband. Now this funeral is for her son, her only son. He'd have died just that morning. In, In that culture, you bury the dead the same day. So the grief, the agony is raw. And anybody who's experienced the grief of burying a child knows something of what this woman was going through. Their son was, her son was, was grown up. He's later referred to as a man. So he's a grown-up son. But nevertheless, that doesn't reduce the tragedy, the grief. Even burying a grown-up son is a painful tragedy that no parent is, is prepared for. I know a lovely, godly Christian couple who buried their grown-up son and daughter-in-law almost 30 years ago, killed in a traffic collision. Nothing had prepared them for it. It was all a perfectly normal Sunday afternoon until they got that call. Nothing prepared them for it. And it's simply so unnatural for a child to die before their parents. And even now that couple testifies to how real and painful the grief is. So this woman, she's already buried her husband, now she's burying her son. Total tragedy. And she's acutely aware of her own helplessness and hopelessness. When her husband died, she'd have then looked to her son to provide for her, to protect her, for, for support. It was that, that was his role now. No state pension in those days. No care homes for her to go into. And now the son has died too her provider, her protector. She's utterly alone. She's on her way out of town to bury her son, and Jesus is on his way in. Verse 13, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. That's what happens when Jesus Christ comes face to face with broken people. His heart went out to her. The Greek word there is is really interesting. It literally means intestines. That is the deepest part of the human body. Uh, What Luke is saying is that Jesus was moved from the depth of his being when he sees this woman. His stomach is knotted with agony. You know what that's like? This is not Jesus looking at a situation and making a, a kind of calculated intellectual decision to do something to help. He feels something deep within, something inside we, we experience something similar, don't we? When faced with somebody grieving, our hearts go out to them. We, when we say that, we, we mean something like this, don't we? we? We move from deep within because of their grief. That's what's going on here. Jesus is filled with compassion. He feels her pain, her sorrow. His heart goes out to her and his heart goes out for you. A hug from heaven. You who are like this woman. Bereaved. You've lost your beloved husband or wife. 
that person who was your constant companion for so many years. And the house feels empty, your heart is broken. Or maybe like this woman, you're grieving the loss of a child. Jesus feels your pain and his heart goes out to you. Or, or you who are fearful, experiencing the pain of worry, whether it's worry about the future. Is this virus going to get you? Are you going to have a job left at the end of it? Or, or who's going to take care of you in your old age? Or maybe the worry about your own health, the, the diagnosis you've received, or the tests that you've got coming up. And your heart is downcast and fearful, and Jesus feels that pain. And his heart goes out to you. Or, or, or maybe you're experiencing deep, deep pain in, in a relationship. Your marriage is under strain. Or you're struggling to raise your children as the Lord commands, and they're rebelling. Maybe it's the pain of seeing grown-up children walk away from the faith you taught them. Maybe it's the pain of knowing you need to end that relationship with a non-Christian boyfriend or girlfriend. Whatever the pain is, Jesus feels it. His heart goes out to you because he's a gracious comforter. And he comes to you and he draws alongside you and he loves you. Very often in our pain and our grief, we don't seek the Lord out. This widow didn't. I'm sure she'd have heard about Jesus. Nain was only a few miles from Capernaum. She'd have heard about this teacher, this miracle worker. The centurion in the previous story, he'd heard he sought Jesus out, but this, this widow doesn't. She didn't seek Jesus. He came to her. Just at the right time, he was there in front of her. He made the journey. He'll make the journey to you. He's a gracious comforter. When we're faced with pain and grief, Faced with anguished choice, the difficult decisions required by radical discipleship, when we're hopeless and helpless, He comes to you. He feels your pain. His heart goes out to you. When things get tough, and I mean really tough, even then Jesus is there and He cares. He's there for you, He cares for you. A hug from heaven. We can trust Him. You can trust Him when things get tough. You can trust Him when following Him is really difficult because He's a gracious comforter. But second, we can trust Him with everything because He's the glorious life giver. You see, this is what makes Jesus completely, utterly trustworthy. We can trust Him because He has total authority. There's nothing on this earth that will not obey King Jesus, not even death. Just consider for a moment the heights of, of human achievement. We can fly in an aeroplane. We can land people on the moon. We've discovered cures for all kinds of diseases. Astonishing things that humanity has accomplished. Mastery over all manner of things. And yet Jesus is in a league of his own. Nobody else can, can turn a jug of water into quality wine. Nobody else can change the weather. Nobody else can say a word and make a paralyzed man walk again. And here in this little town of Nain, we see our awesome King Jesus come face to face with the greatest enemy humankind experiences, death itself. You see, despite the 
extent of human achievements. Death is something we've not achieved control over. It's often been said, hasn't it? There are two things that are certain in life, death and taxes. You can, in fact, avoid paying taxes, though I don't recommend it. But death is unavoidable. The human race has made headway over the years in finding treatments to prolong life. That should be celebrated. But even the person cured of cancer will die of something. We've got no authority over death. It's the thing that is totally beyond us. And yet here we see a man. A man coming face to face with death. Touching death and bringing life. Jesus Christ, the God-man. He demonstrates his complete authority over everything in creation. He proves there's nothing outside of his control. And if there is nothing outside of his control, we can trust him, right? We can trust him with everything. Because he's king of everything. We can trust him because he's the glorious life giver. And if he's going to give us life, there's nothing that can trouble us. Verse 13, his heart goes out to this poor woman. And he said, don't cry. It's almost as if Jesus is British. You know, keep your chin up. Keep calm and carry on. It's it's not that at all. Sure, if if, if don't cry is all that Jesus says, he's being pastorally insensitive. Cruel even. But that's not all he says, because his words are backed up by serious action. Verse 14, he goes up and he touches the coffin. It would have been an open casket that this man was being carried on. And Jesus interrupts the procession and he touches the coffin. That's an astonishing thing to do. In Jewish religion, being clean before God is very important. It doesn't mean just having a bath once a week. It means not going near anything that is impure, that could defile you. You had to keep yourself clean, pure, in order to be fit to worship God. And according to God's law in Numbers 19, touching a dead body or an open coffin would make you unclean because death is unclean. And so there's two very important things going on. We need to take notice of them. The first is this, Jesus is willing to get his hands dirty. That's the kind of phrase we use to express when somebody does something that seems beneath them. A job that's not very pleasant. When the the chief executive unblocks the toilet, we'd say she's not afraid to get her hands dirty. And so it is with Jesus. He's the eternal Son of God. He belongs in heaven. In indescribable glory and majesty. And yet he took on our humanity and entered our world. A world full of sin and death. And he did it to save us. He came down. He didn't, he didn't shout from heaven and give us instructions how to save ourselves. He came down into our world of sin and shame, into the pit, into the miry clay and the, the mud and the filth of our world. And in his humanity, he heals the leper, eats with sinners. Now he touches the dead. Our Jesus is not afraid to come close to the unclean. He doesn't keep his distance. He comes close to us in our need. The second thing to notice is this. What happens when the clean touches the unclean? Imagine you take a glass of fresh water from the tap, and then you you take a glass of seawater from the sea, oddly enough, and you pour them both into a jug. 
Well, what happens? The impure, the salty seawater tarnishes the pure water. Not the other way around. The, the salty water contaminates the fresh water. And that, that's essentially what is behind the law in Numbers 19. If, if, if somebody clean and pure touches a dead body, touches a coffin, well, they become impure. So when Jesus touches the coffin, the law says he becomes unclean. But what happens? Rather than the clean becoming unclean, the unclean becomes clean again. Death turns to life. He touches the coffin and he says, young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sits up and talks and Jesus gave him back to his mother. I'd love to know what he said. <laughs> That's not important. One of our favorite TV shows is the, uh, the series NCIS. You may be familiar with it. But in each episode, the team's chief medical examiner, is, he, he gets to perform the autopsy on the latest victim. But his, his character is well known for talking to the corpse he's about to cut open. In his rationale is that when he, he conducts the autopsy, the corpse speaks to him. <laughs> so why shouldn't he speak to it? The reality is, corpses, those corpses don't sit up and speak. The bodies might tell the medical examiner what killed them or what their last meal was. But they don't sit up and speak. Dead bodies don't do that. Unless Jesus is on the scene. Because Jesus speaks to the corpse and the dead man begins to breathe and speak again. Can, can we trust Jesus? <laughs> can we trust this Jesus? If we had any doubts over his authority over everything, he dispels them as he raises the dead to life. There's nothing over which he doesn't have authority. Can we trust him? Yeah. And we can trust him because what he does to this man in name, he does to each of us. He did for us. Ephesians 2 tells us this, as for you, you were dead in transgressions and sins. That's the reality for anyone who hasn't trusted in Jesus to be their saviour. If you've not trusted in Jesus, in his death for you, you're dead in sin. And for each of us who do know Jesus as our personal saviour and Lord, we once were dead in sin. Our souls were lifeless, on the slab in the morgue. And dead people do not ask to be resurrected. The dead man in Nain didn't ask Jesus to bring him back to life. I did not ask Jesus to bring me to life. Neither did you. Ephesians 2 tells us it was God in his great love who made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in sin. If you're a Christian, it is because Jesus performed a resurrection. Isn't that wonderful? It's Jesus who calls us to life. And like that dead man, we respond. The dead man heard the voice of Jesus and he lived. It's a picture of what happens to the Christian. We hear the voice of Jesus calling us and we live. Do you remember that couple I mentioned earlier on? They lost their son and daughter-in-law in the car accident. The, the, the son and his wife, they were Christians. Well, the parents weren't. Not at that time. The son and his wife had been praying for them and through their grief and the witness of the church... The couple came to Jesus. Jesus turned tragedy to triumph. From death, he brought new life because he's the glorious life giver. And if you're a Christian this morning, it is because Jesus has given you life. You were dead in sin, you're now alive in Christ.
If he's done that for you, can you trust him in everything? Yes, you can. He's brought your dead soul to life. There's no greater miracle than that. We can trust him with everything because he's the glorious life giver. Have you been given life? Then trust him. Verse 16, they were all filled with awe and praised God. Have you been filled with awe at what Jesus has done for you? Does it move you to praise God with all your heart and with all your soul? A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. Why did they think Jesus was a great prophet? Well, these people would have known their Bibles, their Old Testament. They'd have remembered the event written down in 1 Kings 17 where Elijah the prophet did something very similar to what Jesus does here. It was in a town called Zarephath and a widow had lost her only son. And Elijah takes the body up stairs to a, to a room and he, he lays himself down over the body and he prays to God who raises the son to life again. Uh, and a bit later on in 2 Kings 4, Elisha, the prophet, did something similar with a widow in a town called Shunem. Shunem wasn't very far away from Nain, incidentally. And in both those cases, Elijah and Elisha, they laid down over the dead body and they prayed to God. But here, Jesus doesn't do that. He just says the word. The people would have been familiar with Elijah and Elisha. This event would have called to memory those past events. So they recognize Jesus as a prophet. God has come to help his people, but what they don't realize is those prophets had to lay down and pray to God. Jesus just says the word. He's more than a prophet. You see, we can trust Jesus with everything because thirdly, he's the greater risen son. Because what happens here in Nain is a picture of what is to come in Jesus' own death and resurrection. The man in the coffin in Nain, well, he was the beloved only son of his mother. Jesus is the only son of the Father, beloved by the Father. And as the widow's heart was broken that day in Nain, the father's heart was broken that day when the son went to the cross. And when Jesus died on the cross, the crowds thought it was the end. Just as the crowd in Nain were mourning, Jesus' friends and family mourned. His mother cried. They grieved. They thought it was all over. It was the end. You see, unlike the man in Nain, Jesus got as far as the tomb. Buried. Dead, cold, laid in the grave. But it was not the end. He was raised to life. Not just revived, but resurrected. You see, this man in Nain, like, like all the others Jesus raised to life, you remember Jairus' daughter? Or, or his own friend Lazarus? They, they were all revived. They would one day die again, but not Jesus. He was resurrected. He conquered death. He experienced death, and he marched out the other side. He trampled over death as he was raised to life again. Never to die again. And that is our hope. Death is our greatest enemy. And Jesus showed his power over death by raising this man to life just by speaking. But more than that, he, he experienced death itself for us. And still showed he had power over it. And because Jesus did that, 
that gives hope to everyone who loves him and trusts him and follows him. Death is not the final say for Christians. We'll face death with confidence, confidence that we'll wake up with Jesus in heaven and wait then for the day that he returns to earth and and on that day he'll raise our bodies from the ground. You see, this miracle in name gives us hope. Resurrection is coming. Jesus guarantees it. He died for us. He rose for us. That is our confidence. That's our hope, our assurance, our glory. Death is not the end. Resurrection is coming. In the town where we used to live, the cemetery was just over the park from the church. And there was one particular corner of the the, the cemetery where there were buried countless Christians. I'm not quite sure why they all ended up buried in that particular corner, but it was was an astonishing place. You go there and it's basically the history of the church down through decades and decades. So many godly people I remember from my childhood and and names that I don't even even know, but they're, they're parents and grandparents of people I knew when I was a child. All buried in that same corner of the cemetery. And whenever we conducted another funeral, we used to kind of say, tongue-in-cheek, there's going to be some party in that corner on Resurrection Day. And there will be. Because when Jesus comes again, all, all those bodies will be raised and reunited with their souls for eternity because resurrection is coming. And Jesus guarantees it. Whatever, what happens to this man in Nain will happen to you if you're trusting Jesus. It will happen in a glorious way, never to be undone. You see, Jesus not only has the power to tell death what to do, Jesus has tasted death, and he's conquered it. He's beaten death completely, and if we belong to him, then because he's risen, we'll rise. Because he lives, we'll live. And that means we can face today and tomorrow and every day trusting in Him because nothing can harm us, not even death. doesn't mean life will be easy. In fact, as we thought at the beginning, life following Jesus is actually seriously tough. But if Jesus has beaten death, and that's the worst thing we can face, if Jesus has beaten death, what can harm us? We can trust Jesus with everything. So when things get serious, who are you trusting? Yourself? Are you trusting in your family? Trusting in your bank balance, maybe? Or are you trusting in the one who's king, Lord of all? You can trust him with everything. Everything in life, even though following him calls for radical sacrifice, you can trust him in life. You can trust him in death because he's the risen one. You can trust Jesus with everything. He's a gracious comforter, the glorious life giver, and the greater risen son. May God bless you. Let's uh, sing our closing song.
Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.